Hello, sports movie fanatics, and merci beaucoup for devoting part of your day to the 27th edition of Scoring at the Movies. This spinoff of the Top 100 Project hit the one-year mark a week ago, so you'll soon hear a toast to that, and also a toast to our audience for listening to our blatherings for this past year. Here's your prompt warning that we spoil the movies we discuss, and probably many others too. I'm the guy who hasn't played any kind of rugby, ever, Ryan Ellis, and here's the man who would still be taller than me even if he was in a wheelchair, Chris DiGregorio. Thanks, Ryan, you know... I was an asshole before the podcast, and I'm an asshole after the podcast, and it wouldn't be accurate to blame the podcast for me being an asshole. It's just you, who I am. You are the Mark Zupan of this group, I, I am. He's called me Zupan. He does seem like he was a bit of a bully beforehand, too. Not just an asshole, but the kind of guy who would pick a fight. He talks about how, go ahead, hit me, I'll hit you back. He was definitely a bully before. He's still a bully. You see him picking on some of his teammates. You expect Does this... he? His teammates, really? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple scenes where at first it comes off as teammates ribbing each other or needling one another. But then he always took it to a point where it felt like you're just being a bully. Because he is definitely of that group. He's a pretty jacked up big dude, oh, yeah. right? So even though he doesn't have the use of his legs anymore. But he's definitely a bully. Now, when you said we spoil movies, I assume you mean in terms of we ruin them for people through our incoherent and often uh, <laughs> inaccurate ramblings. No, give away the twist, like that Bruce Willis was a ghost, or that Forrest... Or, or, for, the, or that Forrest runs. <laughs> Jenny dies, what I was going to say. Saving Private Ryan is saved. Well, let me spoil this for you, Ryan. These men will never walk again in this movie. I hate to tell you. I know that one kid really believed he was going to walk again, but... Doesn't happen. Well, Zupan's the one that says that he wouldn't necessarily go back if he could. He's better off now. He pretty much says that in the movie, and it's quoted in Roger Ebert's review, which I read last night. He talks about how he's met people and done things he never would have done beforehand. So my question is, would any of them want to go back? The ones who succeed at quad rugby, at least. I strongly suspect that your perspective on that has a lot to do with your lived life before. Like, if you're crippled, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with discussing this from some perspectives because i know that there's been a change in how you're meant to refer to certain injuries or people that have certain capabilities or not and i am not at all confident that i know what the 2019 correct terminology for this kind of thing is so i don't want to say anything that is insensitive crippled is fair though isn't it i don't think so i even worry that calling some people in the circumstances that we find the subjects of this movie disabled i don't even know if that's considered there's a reason why in baseball you don't have a disabled list anymore i think that's a little silly though it's a little much but now it's the injured list it's injured list so just this year i think right so if i say anything horribly insensitive i hope people will forgive me i try to warn people about that in podcasts i've done with bev and some of the ones i've done with you more so with her i guess when we've covered controversial movies 9-11 type movies for example zero dark 30 for 9-11 because i'm going to say things that make people angry i'm sure that's not about what we're talking about now so much but okay there you go we warn about spoiling and we weren't about using the wrong terminology. It's ignorance. It's not trying to be mean-spirited. Yeah. But they do call themselves disabled in this movie, I think, at one point. That's it's not true. otherwise able because this is set in the early 2000s. The movie came out in, what was it, August 2005. Yeah. A lot of production companies released this. One of those, was, the credits are just eight minutes before the movie gets going. 
But over the last 14 years... Things have changed, yeah. A lot. Even if we just think about things like mental health over the last 14 years, and they Mm -hmm. kind of touch on that in a horribly insensitive way. If you think about sexuality and the spectrum of sexuality and the titles that you address people with, there's been a radical shift in a lot of ways, and I think this is one of them. You hear chicks a few times, don't you? Oh, more than a few times. Now that's somebody said that in some recent movie or recent reality. Where was that I heard that? I was surprised to hear somebody say chicks so... Yeah, it's kind of jarring. podcast, I forget what it was now, but I heard it by somebody just very recently. Not in a movie. Yeah, exactly. And in reference to this movie, when it's used at least a few times, it's by one guy that is engaged to this woman. He later marries her and he refers to her as his chick and his chick's mother or, or whatever i don't want to belabor that point i just want to say that i don't want to uh, we've established that we've established we're it. not trying to be mean spirit so on we go now before i answer your question about whether or not i would want to go back to being able-bodied if i were disabled but then well you don't know that because how can you relate to you that can't. you can't yeah so it's a tough question for us to discuss we haven't really touched on what the movie actually is and it's a first for yeah. us right because it's a documentary mm-hmm. it's one a movie that, you've never seen before it was your recommendation and based on the content of it as you described it to me being murder ball wheelchair <laughs> rugby quad rugby I yeah think they refer quad to it. rugby is its actual name i call it wheelchair rugby but it's quad it's quad rugby yeah i was interested to see just what that actually meant in reality like what is quad rugby it refers to the fact that all four of their limbs are at least partially paralyzed yeah there's a great misconception about what the term quadriplegic actually mm. means they're not all christopher reeve in fact none right. of these guys obviously are exactly and that was my perception is that if you hear somebody referred to as quadriplegic it's that they've lost the use of all four of their limbs and that's not all the case as you said they have an impairment in all four limbs to some degree mm. or another zupan actually is moving his legs a little bit it looks like in the opening scene where you see him dressing himself yeah, I couldn't tell if that was him sort of shifting his body and lifting with his arms or it not. It looked like his legs were doing just a little bit of movement on their own. Presumably, he doesn't have the ability to like motor himself about having him locomotive ability with his lower body. No, it was so. slight. I'm not saying yeah. that he was doing much with it, but he was doing a little bit at least. And some of these guys are worse off than he is, and some of them are, I mean, better off. He's one of the better off. I think he's the highest ranked, because they talk about how it's... The higher number means less otherwise able you are. The less impairment Bob Logano, Logano, I think it's Logano, the guy who doesn't even have arms and legs. Well, he has down to his elbows, I guess. Yes. He's fascinating to watch. He really is. He's been doing it most of his life. I think they said he had the disease, something, not polio, that's what Joe Source has. Meningitis, okay. A rare form of it. But he was it. alive. It wasn't like he was born with it and he never had these body parts. So he had to learn how to adjust when he was young. But now that he's, whatever he is, 25 or 30, maybe older than that. It's obviously just second nature to him now, but it is fascinating to watch when he takes his shirt off and he's talking to those kids. Yeah. Just the way he takes it off, it's just so matter-of-fact like we would be, but he's been doing it for decades, so why wouldn't it be matter-of-fact? Yeah, it's incredible. Like you said, he has no arms beyond his elbows. His legs are essentially entirely amputated. I think he was nine he had to have them amputated, he said. That's right, there's no legs. They have that sequence yeah. they show when they're on the road for one of these tournaments and they mess with a chambermaid or whatever it is, a hotel person. Yeah. He's in a box. <laughs> Because he's so small because he has no legs. Yeah, they're trying to mimic that scene from Ocean's Eleven, they said, where the acrobat gets right. in a tiny little box and right. sort of pops out to rob the vault. So, Before we get any further, let's actually do yeah, the thing we should have said we're long kind before. Of like all we basically talked about the whole movie already. You haven't opened your beer yet. So what is that over there? So this is Operation Smash. When you actually watch quad rugby in action, these guys have essentially armored, reinforced kind of bumper car-y looking things. Tanks! Yeah, but they just ram them full speed into each other mm-hmm. I guess the initial impact of that is happening chair to chair. Yeah. But they're getting flipped over. Sometimes they get dumped out. Yeah, they get dumped out. And you got these guys in armored chairs rolling back and forth. I mean, you could wang your head on the ground. You could presumably, mm. in a lot of these scrums, get somebody running over you with one of their wheels. And they don't wear any pads, any helmets, nothing. And I think there was a scene where 
was it Zupan was being asked about that and they asked why don't you I think it was just before the Paralympic Games began why don't you wear pads or helmets and he goes I don't know I guess it's just a macho thing and then the advice he gives later on is what do you do if you get hit and fall down he's like don't lead with your head <laughs> well also doesn't somebody say in this movie what are you gonna do re-break your neck I guess that's true. Although I guess it could be worse because Zupan, as we say, can get by. A lot of these guys can get yeah. by with their hands. They just can't really close them. I know I said that to you leading into this podcast two weeks ago. The fascination of it is that they can move so much, but their hands are even more useful than their legs in most of these cases, the main players on the USA team. But they can't really close them, so they probably can't type. Maybe they can do that, but they can't write with a pencil, for example. Utensils are probably tough for them. The one guy, I think it's Scott Hogs, that talks about how the first thing you learn how to do is masturbate. And I'm picturing how he did that right now, and I think I know. I think <laughs> I, it requires both hands. I tried not to picture it, Ryan, though I can sympathize. <laughs> but I mean, he can't close his hands, so it probably was with two hands. I'm sure for a lot of guys, that would be All right, we'll crack that open, then we can okay. have this toast I talked about a few minutes ago. Excuse my Foley work. All right, right, so here's our toast to the year, just past a year of these podcasts. Cheers. And to our audience for listening to all of them. Hopefully all of them. We don't do this a lot in a lot of the movies we talk about and get into what the movie actually is and what it talks about in great detail. Like We hit on some of the plot points as we discuss it, but because of the unique nature of this one and the subject matter being, I think, in most people's experience, as obscure as it is, it might bear helping people out a little bit to describe what the movie actually is. Because when you described it to me, I had an image in my head as to what the movie was. Did I misdescribe it? No, you didn't. Okay. It wasn't what I expected, but that's not through any fault of yours. It's just the nature of the content, the sport, the individuals it talks about. That's my experience, too, when I saw it. It elicited a the reaction. The first time, I mean. The first time I saw it back in probably 2006. The reaction it elicited was not one that I expected. This was, as we said, a documentary about quad rugby. But it doesn't really fixate too much on the games themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, it talks about the results. We see action, but probably, like in Rocky or Raging Bull, about 10 minutes worth of it. Yeah, exactly. Give or take. Probably not much more than that. The one thing I wasn't clear about with the rules, I think this is true, though. We talked about getting knocked off the chair. And if you do, yeah. does that mean that you lose? If you have the ball, do you lose control of the ball? Is it like a turnover in football or something? I think it is. I think Just like is. turnovers are if you don't pass the ball or dribble it within 10 seconds, you lose control of the ball. Or if you throw it away. I wasn't sure about that either, to be honest with you. Interceptions, of course, would give up possession to the other team. And that is one of the rules in this sport. You're in a wheelchair. I don't know how many people are on each side on the court at any given time, but it's essentially a full... I think it's four. They show the four different guys with their... I think it's either four limitations. Or and Zupan's the highest ranked at 3.5 out of... I think it's supposed to be five is the highest you can go. But anyway, 3.5. And I think yeah. it's Bob Lagano. Lagano? Lagano, I think they pronounce it. Anyway, yeah. he's the lowest. I think he's at one. Which makes sense, because he doesn't have a lot of those. And lines. you can't exceed a certain number, so you can't have a series of Zupans on the court otherwise you would have well i guess they wouldn't let you do that be like having 15 people on the field in an nfl game you just can't do that and they tell you this right off the bat it's kind of like handicapping in golf when you play against players of different skill levels right you you use a handicap number to make the playing field more even that's kind of like this like you assign a number to somebody based on each limb's impairment and your team can't exceed a number and like you said it levels the playing field which i thought was kind of ingenious because in a sport like this where there is such a variation in your physical capability while being defined as a quadriplegic. That's kind of an ingenious way to make sure that the playing field is as level as possible going in. You're right. I wasn't sure about that particular rule. There are sequences you see where they throw the ball to one another and miss the pass or somebody goes after a loose ball. So I don't think losing possession of it automatically turns it over. But maybe in a circumstance where you get knocked over out of the chair, just for safety's sake, maybe they blow the whistle and then turn the ball over just to prevent a scrum on top of you when you're tipped over. 
this is one thing that did live up to my expectations when you called it murder ball and described what mm-hmm. it was to me. It is every bit as violent as I expected a sport to be while being in a wheelchair and mm-hmm. while being at least partially paralyzed. They don't hit each other per se. They hit the chairs, but obviously it's oh, the but... concussion effect. Yeah. I'm sure some of them have probably had concussions. People say that you can have a concussion doing so many things we don't realize where your brain doesn't necessarily have to, or head at least, doesn't have to hit something per se, just the rattling of the brain inside the head. Right, exactly. So that kind of lived up to my expectation, but the way that the movie flowed, that's where it threw me off. They talk about the sport, that you get a sense of what it is, but then they fixate on five individuals, is it? Well, Zupan, Joe Soros, the kid Keith Cabell, who wants to be a quad rugby player, and maybe at this point, many years later, has become one or did become one. And Keith was the motocross guy that was just recently injured and just Mm -hmm. gave Okay. So that's three. You got Hogsett. Hogsett and Cohen, I guess I pronounce Andy, the one who, well, they're both blonde, but Andy's the one who drops the ball in Sweden. It's five primary personalities, and you really... But also Bob. Oh, and Bob, yes. And you really get into their stories, you get into their lives, their experiences... Some of them got injured relatively late in life, like in their teens or early 20s. So they had to transition from being fully able-bodied to having some kind of physical challenges to overcome. But then some of them, like Bob and like Joe... Who had polio as a kid. Yep. They were very young. And then some of the personalities that we do meet just tangentially as we go through, like one guy, I think he had some sort of brain virus or something when he was one. That sounds right. You get a broad spectrum of experiences that led people to this place. How would you describe the flow of this movie? There's not like an arc to each of their stories. You're just kind of figuring out who they are as people, what their experiences are. There's a bit of an arc to Joe's story. Because Joe is not that different after he has a heart attack, but he is different. He's definitely better to his son. I do wonder if some of this was a little bit staged. Some documentaries are. If you've never seen The King of Kong, which is not a sports movie, sports documentary, I love that movie so much. I have read, they really made Billy Mitchell look worse than he really was. He said a lot of things that made him look bad enough, but the way it's edited and whatnot, apparently the antagonism between him and Steve Wiebe is not nearly as bad as it was in reality. But I do love the movie. I wondered a few times if this one was a little bit staged that way. Zupan and Soares, especially from Zupan, there's such animosity. And yet when I looked up reviews and whatnot, well, I think it's on the IMDb page. Anyway, there's a picture of Zupan and Soares at one of the festivals, because this movie went to a ton of festivals before it actually came out in the summer of 2005. They're sitting beside each other. So I guess they're being civil. They want to promote the movie and it helps them in their long-term careers, but they couldn't have hated each other too much if they would do that. I'm sure most people realize that just because it's a documentary does not mean it's just a stark presentation of facts. Michael Moore has proven that over the years. Oh, yeah. There's always going to be a bent to it, and people do want some sort of narrative story for the viewer to follow. So Joe's story, before he has his heart attack, he comes off as a super hard-ass to his kid, somebody who's not accepting of his son for who he is, and then post-heart attack, all of a sudden, he's... A little softer. A little softer. Not a ton different, but better. I would wager to guess he was more or less the same guy pre and post, and the way that was cut was just a little different. His son, who's fully able-bodied... And not an athlete, even though Joe would have been as much of an athlete as Zupan already was when he was young, before he was in that car wreck, or that truck wreck, whatever, when he... We'll tell that story in a second. Yeah. But obviously, Zupan and Soares, if they were completely like you and I, didn't have any of these quadriplegic problems, I don't know if they'd be professional athletes, but they'd be playing a lot of sports right now at some kind of level. They're both jocks. These guys are basically all jocks, and I get the feeling that even in their world, you don't have to feel sorry for them anyway. They're that bro-y jock kind of guy, Zupan especially. Zupan has got charisma out the ass, and he seems likable. He's actually great with the kids when he meets Keith and whatnot. He's got a great smile, but it seems like he's fueled by the antagonism with Joe, who's coaching Team Canada and used to be on the American team, a star, many years before, but got old, and they cut him, and his attitude is maybe part of the problem. He's a bit of a dick. But Zupan seems to be fueled by being mad all the time, so let's say he was just like you and me and was able to do everything completely normal. Again, don't mean to offend anybody the way I put that. 
He'd be the guy wedging guys in the locker room, probably. And maybe Soares would, too. No, I agree. And that's why I think it's an important scene that they have early on. Mark Zupan has his 10-year graduation reunion or something. Okay, yeah. And so you meet two of the guys that knew him before the accident that caused his injuries. And that's where the line, he was an asshole before he was disabled. He's an asshole now. And you can't blame the wheelchair for him being an asshole. He's one of those guys that's just driven by competition. He's got a bit of an ego about it. So he's got that animosity with Joe. But at the same time, he is very charismatic. You get him off the court and away from training and away from playing, and he's appearing before newly injured and rehabbed war vets or kids or whatever the case may be. You know, he comes across eloquent. And, very sweet. And very sweet and understanding. And not only does he speak well, he addresses each person in a way that speaks to them. Like, he realizes that the one kid that wants to, after his motocross accident, wants to become a quad rugby player because he misses that competition and he lets him get into his quad rugby chair and sort of tap him with it to get a sense of what the contact's like. <laughs> the nurses and doctors don't like that. It was a sweet move. And so mm-hmm. I can totally understand, just based on that dichotomy of character, based on Zupan's surroundings, that maybe he does have that on-the-field competition with Joe Soares. Maybe he doesn't like him as a coach and a player and doesn't respect him, but understands that, hey, listen, if I want to be successful and I want to promote my image and who knows what opportunities are open for me, I got to get out there with this guy and take some photos and smile and wave. He strikes me as the kind of guy that would understand that. Basically. Oh, you think the nice guy is the act and the asshole is not the no, act? No, no, I don't think that's an act. I just think he, He's specifically with Joe, when you okay. said that they were photographed together after the movie doing the press tours yeah. or, or the festivals... I think he's savvy enough to realize that he might not like this guy and away from the cameras, maybe he wants nothing to do with him, but he's willing to take those photos because it's going to present opportunities for him and maybe present opportunities for the sport. One of my softball teams I don't play on anymore. I play with some of the same people on other teams, but it was not my team. I didn't run it. There were people on my team that really hated one of our top opponents. It was always us. It was like the Yankees-Dodgers in the finals, and this is three-pitch. We seemed to play them in the spring and summer because it was broken up into multiple seasons. Year after year after year, it was always us against them. I didn't have that big a problem with this other team, but two or three people on my team who are way nicer than me in general and way more calm than I am when we play. Not that I'm always freaking out, but you know what I'm talking We've talked about this before. <laughs> I've had to peel you away. They've never time. freaked out on the field, these guys. They hated that team. I was the voice of reason with them. So I wonder if they made themselves hate them even more to get up to try to beat them. Like yeah. Zupan and Soares. Sometimes that's what you need to get up for a game. Now, speaking of Zupan and Soares, Soares, of course, is American, but coaches the Canadian team. He actually also coached at different times the Great Britain team, the Poland team, and the German team. He got fired from America. <laughs> they have it in the end credits. He got fired from, not America, from Canada yeah. sometime after the championship. We'll get to that in a second. But that reminds me of my nutshell, which is I rooted against the Canadians and for the Americans. That's an accomplishment. That's true. I assume you agree, right? Yeah. We don't get to know the Canadians. We only get to know their coach, who's not even Canadian. And that is one of the aspects of this movie that surprised me. Honestly, I didn't root for anybody. And I rooted for Zupan. He is such a charismatic guy and mostly likable. I liked Hogshead and Cohen as well. And then when you see a little bit of, well, Cavill's not on the team, but all those guys are pretty likable, I thought. Actually, Bob is the nicest guy of all of them. 100%. He is the most challenged guy of the group as far as what he has to overcome day to day. Gets a girl in the end, too. Yeah, they all get girls. Which, little tangent, right. was one of the more interesting <laughs> little things. Like, there's a whole segment about... You can score at this movie. <laughs> yeah, a whole segment where Keith is talking to his doctor about, can I still do it? Am I still functional down there? And the doctor pops in a video. It's like sexuality mm. after your accident. You see some scenes of the woman having to physically manipulate her lover into place because they're paralyzed. And she's fully naked in that video, too. Yeah, which was a little unexpected. The purpose of this is to just highlight for the audience generally, I would assume, that these guys have suffered injuries 
that doesn't mean that they are no longer sexual beings. They're still men and they still have their desires, whatever those might be. The penis still works. The penis still works. And like you said, one of the guys says, the first thing I did when I got home out into the hospital was learn how to masturbate. Some of them talk about getting more girls after becoming injured than they ever did when they were Mm able-bodied men. And I think it's Zupan's girlfriend that says she doesn't really know what it is that drew her to him initially, but it might be a mothering instinct. It might be that when you're in a wheelchair, you're not as threatening. So it's easier for a woman to come up to a big burly guy who's in a wheelchair and feel unthreatened because they know they can get away. And whether or not you stay with that person is a whole different question. Obviously, that comes down to who the guy is and who you are. But I guess it opens a lot of doors for them, which is not something I ever would have considered in a million years. true. That you're scoring more... In a wheelchair than right. you ever did before. Because you think the default would be that you get less. We've all seen people, maybe you and I have done it too, where you don't look at somebody necessarily. I should say don't stare at somebody, not that you have to stare. But what I mean is you're avoiding in some kind of way yeah. if there's something different about them. It's human nature. I don't know. Most people do, I think. Am I wrong in saying that? Yet these guys are drawing the women in. And then again, Hogsett's a heartthrob. He's the one that talks about jacking off and learning how yeah. to do that first. And he gets a babe at the end of the movie. Really maybe does. it's not the end of the movie, but by then the show are sitting in his wheelchair and she's hot. He, Andy Cohen's a cute guy. Yeah. Zupan's a good-looking dude. So that helps, too. They're already attractive men. Zupan's also a jacked guy. Yeah. And he's always shirtless. 100% mm-hmm. of the time that he doesn't have to be wearing a shirt, he doesn't have a shirt on. Hawksett's a good-looking dude, and he does get engaged. But he's also the one that kept referring to his fiance as my chick. Right. I think it's just while they're prepping for the Paralympic Games. Right? This is sort of like halfway through the Which movie. Which ones? The 2004 in Athens? Yes, the Athens Paralympic okay. Games. Oh, I guess that's the only actual Olympic Games they go to because it's a tournament in Sweden in 2002, and I guess that's a world championships kind of thing. Canada wins that. Then America loses in 04 at the Olympics, Paralympics, against Canada again. But there's a tournament in between there where America wins. So Canada, in the three matches we see... We win twice, although I'm not really rooting for the Canadians because we're seeing the American point of view. Great example of the line in Star Wars, from a certain point of view, (laughs) because I should be rooting for my Canadian team. there's going to be more to that line. Well, it's because you're rooting for the supposed enemy. The Americans are usually thought of as the enemy in any kind of Olympic-type sport, and yet we're not rooting for the Canadians, we're rooting for the Americans. I didn't say all the critical stuff, by the way. Let's do that now. Okay. 98%. Wait. Critics like the movie 8.36 really? out of 10. So this was movie was raved about. That's one reason why I rented it on DVD and was pleasantly surprised. That was a year of movies like that, though. I remember Hustle and Flow. Never even heard of it. See it at the video store. Go home. Check out what is this movie. And then go back and get it later that day. Love that movie. Murderball was the same thing where I'd heard a little bit about it. Saw it and liked it even more than they said I would. 89% of audiences, by the way. That's also pretty strong. And Roger Ebert's review I talked about was a four-star review. He loved it. It was 196th at 2005, so not a hit, but most documentaries are not. Although that same year, one of the most successful documentaries of all time, March of the Penguins, was out. And that's the (laughs) one that won the Oscar. The Penguins won the Oscar, and it's okay. I've only ever seen it once. But Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room, terrific documentary. And this, we're nominated against it. Enron probably should have won, but I would have loved to see this win, too. The Penguins, although everyone loved it. Was that, what's his nuts then, from Shawshank, right, that did the voice of Morgan Freeman. That really helped, it's true. You can't have a voice that soothing over a course of an entire movie and not love it, Ryan. Come on. He was coming off of playing God in the Bruce Almighty movie, and then also he was in the Oscar-winning Million Dollar Baby, which you covered only a few weeks ago. So he was on that whole run where he was really beloved, Morgan Freeman was. Now, you love hearing these ones, and I love seeing this one online. In Portugal, this movie is known as Muderball. Yes, the R is not in there. (laughs) M-U-D-er-ball. Espirito de Combate. <laughs> the way you said Uderball, I don't know why that killed me. Maybe I'm mispronouncing it, but I had to double check. There's All I no could think R. of was Uder. Uder playing Uderball. 
Did Ralph, you actually I say my Wookie? <laughs> That's Ralph. Ralphie. All right. Well, did you actually say if you liked the movie or not? Because I love this movie. Did I like it? I found it extraordinarily interesting. No hmm, question. Not about a rave it. review. I had very complicated feelings about it, I'll be honest with you, and I wanted to talk through as we did this and try to figure out how I actually feel about it. Because I didn't root for anybody. By the point where they were prepping for those 2004 Paralympic Games, I stopped rooting for any team. Didn't mean I lost interest in the movie itself. I lost interest in seeing them win or lose. And I think it's because of the way they talked about things. And this scene is kind of interesting because it both highlights, yet again, in the same way that that sort of sexuality discussion highlighted that you can't define these people by their wheelchairs. They're still people and they still have complicated personalities. This scene did the same thing, but it also killed my ability, I think, to kind of root for anybody because it highlighted their bro-y personalities, mm. as you described. So they're talking about getting ready for the tournament and Hogsett was talking about a family event he was at with his, quote-unquote, my chick, right? She, I think, mistakenly introduced him to her broader family as a quad rugby player who is getting ready for the Special Olympics. Right? Oh, right, yeah. Of course, Special Olympics are totally different from the Paralympic Games. They're meant for a different group of people with different challenges in life. But they were so disparaging and insulting about the athletes in the Special Olympics. The Special Olympics, I do think, happen every year. I don't think it's an every four-year event in the same way that the Paralympics mirror the Olympic Games. Well, the Paralympics actually go to the same facilities as the Olympic Games, but I don't think the Special Olympics do, do they? No, and I get that, and I'm not trying to necessarily put them on the same level because they don't enjoy the same frequency, they don't enjoy the same facilities necessarily. Or even publicity. Or publicity, CBC certainly. ran that after we did the Olympics, and I don't know how long we've been doing this, but I'm pretty sure after the last Olympics, which would have been the winter, was it? In Anyway, the last Olympics that happened, we always air them, we always have at least for a long time. And I'm pretty sure we did the Paralympic Games. It didn't get the same kind of publicity, but we did show them. Yeah, and you don't get that with the Special Olympics. Certainly, Mm -hmm. you might see some news stories quickly flashed up, Canada wins these medals or something like that, but that's about it. But they were so insulting and disparaging about those athletes. We see something very similar happen with different groups of immigrant populations to countries. North America in particular is a good example. In this case, Hogsett, and forgive my language because I'm just going to try to quote him verbatim. But well, he, I think that's fine for quoting somebody. Well, not the N-word, but that's not what he says. And suddenly I was the retard, right? That it, was not taboo in 2005 when the movie no, came out. No, it wasn't. Granted, but it's not necessarily the word itself. It's the way he's disparagingly talking about the Special mm. Olympics athletes. It reminded me of those immigrant groups because, for instance, you get, in America in particular, you get groups of immigrants in waves, right? So there's a time when, say, like the Irish emigrated en masse from Ireland to America, and they were looked down upon as very low-class individuals. As they should be, no. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, right? I'm 116th Irish, so easy against, there. I have nothing against the Irish. I think I have some in my DNA, too. But they were sort of amalgamated, and then the Italians came in, and they were the most ethnic people on the block, so they were looked down upon. But the black population grows in North America, especially post-slavery as they move north, right? And then they're looked down upon, and you get these sort of waves of immigrants once they become part of the greater society on sort of a more or less level playing field, will then themselves look down on the new group, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of what their experiences were 20, 30, 40, 50 years before, you would think they would have a little bit more empathy. They don't necessarily. They exhibit the same behaviors that were exhibited upon them. Tilly agrees with you. Yeah. She's shaking and scratching, and I think Sam was snoring. Well, she is a southern belle, and her family (laughs) has some questionable roots, Ryan. It's nice to have a live studio audience. Right. So it's kind of disheartening to me because you would think these men, I'm sure, have faced their share of challenges. And in some respects, we hear them talked about. Andy tells a story about he goes out grocery shopping and people trying to be nice. And I would be guilty of this, too. If I were walking to my car and I saw somebody in a wheelchair trying to carry groceries to their car, I would offer to help, not because I didn't think they could do it, but because 
this is a small thing I can do to make somebody's day easier. I would do the same thing for any number of people. If I saw a woman with a young child trying to carry her groceries, I'd do the same. Maybe it's a little insensitive to do that, and I should phrase it carefully if I do, but he talks about being insensitive to offer help to anybody though yeah I thought he was a little over the top and seeming as insulted as he was and saying hey man I wouldn't come to the grocery store if I couldn't get my groceries well his tone wasn't quite like that but then there is a tone sometimes in this woke era I do have some issues with the woke era and sometimes people can be angry by the mere suggestion that a man would hold a door for a woman like he used to do I try to hold doors for people anyway yeah I remember I've told the story, maybe not in this podcast before, but it's something that really, I think, set the tone for this guy. George Strombolopoulos, the guy who was on CBC for many years and much music and everything. He's a pretty well-known guy in this country, at least. He was doing The Hour at the peak, and they changed the name of the show, but it was The Hour then. I was going out of the food court one day around noon, and he was coming towards me. I've never met this guy. He didn't know who I am. I certainly did know who he was. He basically ran to make sure to hold the door for me. I wasn't even holding me. I don't think I was holding food yet. Anyway, the point was he ran. Oh, get the door for you, guy. I'm just some dude. That's how nice this guy is. So it's just a polite thing to do. But yes, Andy does seem like he's mad by the whole notion. Why would you need to help me? I got here on my own. But he doesn't really have that tone, I don't think. I think it's more a matter of... That's the whole point. That's why we're talking about how these guys have had their lives changed in such a bad way. And yet they're saying, we managed to get by just fine. I think that's the whole point, is that they're building this up. It's almost like a drill sergeant. Beat them down and then build them back up. Well, life has done that to them by giving them these... Impairments. The whole point is that they're trying to demonstrate that these guys are still capable of living their lives and that people shouldn't necessarily feel sorry for them or look down on them because of the struggles that they face. But that's why I found that so disheartening. These guys have faced, I'm sure, these kinds of perceptions from broader society aimed at them. And then they turn around and they aim it at the one group of people that maybe they can as those with some sort of mental faculty challenges. That's so human nature, though. It's punching down. People have been doing it forever. Exactly. But it just ruined my ability to okay, root for I get that. Way. I didn't really have a problem with that because, again, we're talking about something, these attitudes that were about 20 years ago. And I think maybe these same people might be a little bit different now. Yeah. Now, as far as the actual games, 2002 tournament in Sweden, Paralympics 2004. And actually, America, I looked this up. It's not in the movie's credits or anything like that or the end cards. But it said they went on to win the gold in Beijing in 2008. So they did get their redemption. But in that tournament at the very end when they lose in Greece, Athens... The Americans win the bronze, Canada gets the silver, and New Zealand upset everybody, and they won gold. They don't show New Zealand, I don't think, at all, and then suddenly it just says, oh, they won. (laughs) Fucking Kiwis. (laughs) Although, if there is a country that is more polite than Canada, it might be New Zealand. Mm. And in Athens, Zupan's parents come. His girlfriend's there, his cute little girlfriend. Again, how could he want to give up the life he's got now? He maybe would have ever been with her. His girlfriend is pretty attractive. She is a babe, yeah. And then, Christopher Igo. The one who put him in that chair. Yeah. Certainly not intentionally. They're both at a party. Both drank too much. Zupan lays in the bed of the truck, the pickup truck. <laughs> Igo drives drunk, gets in an accident. Apparently, Zupan went flying into this canal and was there for 13 and a half hours. Yeah. I guess even at that point, it was paralyzed. Now, maybe the hypothermia of being in water and whatnot brought it on and made it worse somehow. It's like in The Deer Hunter where John Savage's character... You don't really see why he's paralyzed. And maybe the water they're in somehow. He does seem to break his leg, I think. But anyway, De Niro's got to carry him out of the water. So it's not like it's a slow development thing. Savage is hurt even at that point. So maybe it's like that with Zupang, where he's mm-hmm. already hurt, but then it's worse by the fact he's not taken care of. I'm sure, But yeah. that's how he got paralyzed. And he and Igo have this, not hostility, but Igo seems to just, no, what can I do about it now kind of attitude when he drives yeah. the camera crew to where this all happened. Is there a more southern way? Because these guys were, I think, in Florida at the time mm-hmm. when this happened in the Fort Lauderdale area. At the time, they were both in their early 20s, I think, in college. Got wasted and didn't tell my friend, passed out effectively mm-hmm. in the back of his pick, like the bed of his pickup truck. And then he also wasted, got kicked out of the bar by the bartender because he passed out at the bar and figured, oh, I'm going to drive myself home. 
I assume he learned his lesson, but we don't know because some of Igo and Zupan's friends talking about him offhandedly mention he's drunk all the time. Part of that could be regret and some of the trauma he suffered. Somebody tells Zupan, oh, by the way, Igo called me at three in the morning and asked me about you. And then Zupan's question was, was he drunk? And the guy's like, oh, yeah. So there's clearly an understanding that Igo is still drinking a lot. But in talking about the accident, he says, passed it at the bar. Bartender woke me up, kicked me out. So I got in my car and I figured I'd drive home. Wasn't the first time I'd driven drunk. I figured, no big deal, whatever, right? And then he drives the camera crew to the site of the accident on the side of the highway. We plowed into the median or whatever. He's almost flippant about it. What do I feel when I see this? Yeah, you know, I don't feel emotional. I don't feel anything. I would feel guilty forever. Oh, I'm sure he feels guilt. Even if I was sober and that happened, I'd feel guilty forever. I would never want to drive that stretch of road ever again. He just says it's a bad thing that happened. It was an accident. What are you going to do? I'm like, you moron. You were blackout drunk and you got behind the wheel of your car. You should feel something. And forget about what you do to yourself. You get blitzed and get behind the wheel of the car and you kill yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay, you made the choice. But in this case, you got blitzed, got behind the wheel of the car your best friend is now a quadriplegic for life. That's the tragedy of it. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do to other people when you're in that state. But then they do make up enough that Igo goes to Greece and it says at the end that they talk every day. So it did yeah. have a healing effect somewhere in there. Makes me wonder a little bit again if they fudged it with the editing and whatnot. And by the way, this movie is really well edited. It is. Documentaries are almost never nominated for editing, but they should be. One of the ones we might eventually cover is Hoop Dreams because that is a sports documentary about basketball. That was not nominated for the documentary award, but it was nominated for the editing, ironically. <laughs> Anyway, the editors, Connor O'Neill and Jeffrey Richmond, kudos to them. And the directors, by the way, we haven't even talked about them at all yet. The co-directors are Henry Alex Rubin and Dana Adam Shapiro. Dana's a guy. Well, Adam, I guess, gives that away. Rubin shot the movie as well. So he was the cinematographer for this thing. And he's made no documentary since. And Shapiro as well. They haven't really made anything big or anything all that notable. But they shot 200 hours of footage for a movie that isn't even 90 minutes long. And as you pointed out before we started recording here... The credits seemed pretty long. I didn't think that, but you noticed that the credits seemed that they're epic. I didn't watch them. I just know how early they ran in the runtime of the movie on the DVD. So they really do get a lot of footage down. Yeah. And maybe we lose some good stuff. Hoop Dreams, I just mentioned, is a long movie. I think it's well over three hours. Oh, wow. And you basically chronicle two guys versus all the people in this movie. Dana Shapiro is the one that wrote the article about Murder Ball that this actually was based off of. It doesn't surprise me that he hasn't made any other documentaries. Not a filmmaker, person. Not a filmmaker, okay. I guess. He's a documentary. Zupan was in a movie that Henry Alex Rubin directed as well. Really? Zupan's been in a few things in one episode of Friday Night Lights, so obviously this got him some... Again, why would you want to give up the life you have now? You'd never be a movie star or a movie actor or not for that. Can you imagine a tougher question to ask somebody, especially somebody that has lived like Zupan until your early 20s, being not just able-bodied, but a physically gifted athlete? Playing sports all the time. Playing yeah. sports all the time. And now you're quadriplegic, but you get a level of notoriety, you get a level of fame. You're a superstar in the game you do play. Yeah, you have a great family, a great girlfriend. You get to go to the Olympics. Yeah. You get to be America's spokesman, I guess for the sport per se. They show him at the White House when Bush yeah, was still in office. That's right. It's like one of those horrible questions that somebody asks you, like, would you like a million dollars, but you had to cut off your arm or something like that? Like, Most people say yes. I guess. it's a, well, a lot of people would say horrible yes. Horrible question to ask. And speaking of his great family, Zupan... During that sequence where we hear about the accident as described by Chris Igo, we get a sequence with Zupan's parents. If there is one group of people in this movie that come off great, it is the parents that we meet. <laughs> Dad's a character. Zupan's family is great. They emphasize how worried they were for their son. After the accident, they were worried that he was going to be worse off than he actually proved to be physically once it was all said and done, or die. And then the father talks about Chris Igo and how he was terrified to meet the father's gaze. Igo was worried that the father was going to attack him or something, mm. and instead they just gave him a hug. And 
It's an accident. You didn't mean to do it. We forgive you. You're responsible, though. Yeah, don't forget, you're still responsible. Which I thought was a great message. Perhaps you owe some support and assistance to Mark because of what you did to him, but we don't necessarily blame you for it. We don't hold it over your head. We forgive you for it. You mentioned the family members that went to the Paralympic Games. Bob, the guy that had to have all his limbs amputated, his family was there. Right, his father. His father. That sequence when they all come out and they're all hugging their girls. You can see Zupan. They don't really show it too much. You can tell he's been crying. He wipes his face. Oh, no, you see him crying with the girlfriend, Zupan. You You have better eyes than I do. I couldn't really necessarily see that. You see him wiping the face. That's how I knew for sure. But yeah, the whole thing's so emotional. And the father says to Bob, you're the best son a boy could ever have. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. I don't remember if I cried during that, but I think I probably have before. I definitely shed a tear there. They had just lost that game to Canada. They ultimately won the bronze medals subsequently. Mm -hmm. The Americans did. They build it up that's the finals, but of course it's not. It's like when Canada lost the gold medal against Czech Republic in 98, the Olympics in hockey. But that wasn't the gold medal game. That was to get to the gold medal yeah. game. And we blew the bronze, too. We didn't even get a bronze. Yeah, it still guess... haunts us, even though we've won many gold <laughs> since in the exact same sport. It's a one seed versus two seed, so it's a big match. You're right. When Canada wins that game and Joe Soares, the coach, the American coach for Team Canada, is celebrating it and looking to the heavens like, yes, we did it. We won. And that like... was because he was happy they beat oh, yeah, America. He just, he just that wasn't just about getting to the next level. But the way he was celebrating looked like a championship. the job game. isn't done yet there, Joe. But Speaking the... of him, by the way, Joe has a second son. I looked it up on Wikipedia. He does? They never mention him. Oh, man, that poor kid. <laughs> so again, editing in a documentary, that's not good for your story, I guess. Maybe they're ashamed of that son. That is the Ralph Wiggum of their family. <laughs> they, they don't want him on film. Well, Robert, look at the accomplishment. That kid is, everyone seems to like him. He's winning awards for conduct, and he's a nice kid with that for great. Yeah, for all the overall, being a great kid, basically. And he's not an athlete, but otherwise, he's somebody you have to be incredibly proud of. But Joe and his wife go to dinner for their anniversary in the restaurant. (laughs) Talk about access. I think that maybe the cameras were these little ones, possibly they're sitting off, because the look of it is really bad. This isn't the best-looking movie to begin with. GoPro-ish little, like, satellite cam. So they probably weren't in their... They didn't seem to be in their faces, but the fact that they have this footage at all, just like you have footage of his heart attack, not the his heart attack itself, but when they fixed out the surgery and all that. Yeah. But he toasts... Team Canada. Oh, I know. We win, hopefully. Even though his wife is saying to you, which is bad enough, it should be to us. This is their anniversary. But she knows who she's with. Yeah, I was going to say, do you feel like his wife is long-suffering or anything? Yes. At their anniversary dinner, she's toasting. He's like, to Team Canada, let's win at... I don't think this guy ever calms down. Now, again, we see a 90-minute movie, and he's probably in not even half of it. But even when he's clowning around for his nieces and nephews at some reunion dinner after the heart attack, when he's doing a wheelie, that's a fun moment. But even that is not him being truly relaxed, like Zupan seems to be, when he's not playing rugby or preparing for rugby. I don't think Joe ever really truly relaxes. Yeah, I got the sense too that he's got that sort of hyper alpha male Because he got fired from a team that upset his former team and won a silver medal. I and really, they don't say why. I know, I was going to say, I really wish they had told us Gotta why. Gotta be personality. It has to be. It makes you wonder what aspect of his personality. And maybe, as you've said, this is just an editing thing and it's the way that they've filmed it. But it seems like Team Canada, his players, love him. You see mm-hmm. them gathering at his house and they're all sort of joking around. Imitating him Imitating with that list. him. <laughs> He gives his little speech before they go off to the games. He says, you guys are the best family I could have. He does qualify it by saying second family. He doesn't put them before his own. But you're the best. We're a family. I love you guys. It's been great. Postscript, he was fired. So like, <laughs> Whoa, okay. He had success. It seemed like the team liked him. And then they give us nothing. And Addendum. he's coached so many different teams. Yeah. Canada, Great Britain, Poland, and Germany. And he could have been the American coach, according to that one person. Maybe they all thought that one day, but he didn't want to pay his dues, and he was mad that he got cut. But I guess he got old. It was like a 40-year-old baseball player. You were great, but we can't use you anymore. 
but you could be in the front office. And a lot of people get to that level. Some of the superstars we've seen in other sports are now GMs or coaches. So many in baseball, especially yeah. that were star players, not just players, but star players like Don Mattingly, who are managers now. And I don't like the expression, I feel old. But that puts in perspective for me that one of the superstars of the 80s and into the 90s has been a manager for quite a long time now in baseball. Ryan... I do feel old. Oh, and I am old. I'm 45. I hurt but... everywhere right now. <laughs> we have I'm a softball, very tired. We have a softball game in a few hours. We'll see how either of us holds up. Maybe not so much during it, but tomorrow. I did some light to moderate exercise yesterday, and I'm paying the you price now. Feel... That's why I didn't do any. We played catch a few times, and it's been oh. fine. But running is probably going to knock me out. All right, let's wrap this movie up. So you liked it. I loved it. I've seen it three, probably even four times now. And I'll probably watch it again one day. It helps when documentaries are in and out quick and fast-paced and energetic. This movie was also honored by the Jackass guys. I think maybe really? Zupan was in one of their TV shows. I would 100% buy that based on Zupan's personality, based on what he seems to like to do, and the Jackass guys. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. This movie struck me as a very complicated movie. And the messaging, I wasn't sure. What did you think that the filmmakers were trying to get across to you? What was their message as this documentary? Well, there really is one except presenting this thing that we didn't know existed. Most of us wouldn't have known it existed. And showing the people behind it that they're not really truly disabled. Their brains are still what they always were, and these guys are jocks, and they are regular people, and, well, maybe not necessarily nice guys, actually, but some of them are. And, of course, the real offset is the Keith Cavill story, seeing the potential for him, because he is so yeah. dumbstruck when he comes home and sees the way they prepared his house. This really sucks, with a smile on his face. And he's not criticizing yeah. his mother and his girlfriend. It's more, I'm reminded even more now that I have to live like this. And then cut to, whenever that is, he's meeting with Zupan, where you see some hope. And Zupan even says when he's interviewed by somebody, I couldn't get him out of the chair. So if Cavill didn't make the team, he at least tried to. And that's something to live for. By the time the film ends, they were talking about him trying to save money to buy his first right. quad rugby chair. I think at the end of it all, I, I probably took from it, it sounds like something similar to what you did in that this movie was trying to convey to us that these are just people. They are as complicated and multifaceted as anybody might be, regardless of what their physical state might be. I think most documentaries eventually get down to that point. I don't know that I actually liked it. But I found it incredibly interesting. And the reason I, me. I found it so difficult by the end of the movie to actually like a lot of the personalities in it. I didn't particularly care for a lot of the guys. Bob was like a fantastic... You gotta like Bob. I gotta like Bob. And you gotta like the parents. And to a certain degree, I like Zupan as well. Even though he came across at times very bigoted towards the Special Olympics athletes. He came across as a bit of a... That was more hogshead, I think. But okay. But no, he was right in it. So a lot of these guys had such... Of course, Joe. Oh, boy, did Joe have personality flaws. Mm -hmm. But yeah, these guys had some pretty serious personality flaws that made it difficult for me to actually like them and root for them. I thought it was an incredibly successful piece in conveying certain messages, and I really enjoyed learning about the sport. I enjoyed the way it presented quad athletes because I learned a lot, and I came away from it with that realization more so than I've ever come away from any other movie that, yes, these are just people, and People are people. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You'll still be an asshole if you're an asshole. You'll yeah, still right. be a good guy if you're a good guy. Would okay. you recommend this movie to somebody? Let's put the, we don't usually talk about that. Bev and I don't really either. Maybe we should. Would you recommend this to somebody who didn't know anything about the sport or yes. doesn't care about sports? Even if I can't confidently say I liked it, I would 100% recommend it because I think you can learn a lot. I think you can mm. come away with a number of lessons. And the generation that preceded us has preconceived notions of their own based on their upbringing, based on what they experienced in life. And Every generation is more woke, or whatever the term might be. I hope be. so, yeah. I imagine that somebody that was 25 years older than me, if someone's in their 60s or 70s, and they watch this, I'm sure they would come away with even more than I did. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be gained from a movie like this, and I think it was fantastically presented for what it was trying to do. It's just not an easy movie. I think that's good. I don't think it should be, yeah. I don't think you should minimize what people and the circumstances that these athletes are. 
go through. And I think if you did, you would probably lose a lot of the effectiveness of it. The best movies in general, but especially the best sports movies and maybe even the best documentaries have a lot of salt and pepper in them. You don't just want salt, you want pepper. (laughs) And some zazz. You want some zazz. Some spice. (laughs) It's a well-made movie. You talked about the cinematography. Tremendous access, of course, too. Yeah. You can't pick it apart. You can't make fun of a lot of it. And it's a tough one, man. But I'm glad that you recommended it because it is unlike anything that we've certainly seen today that I probably never would have heard of or seen it had you not. Well, we'll get to a very lightweight movie in two weeks because we just decided to do this yesterday officially and it's Bring It On. We're going to do a cheerleading (laughs) movie. Is that sports? Okay, that's even more off the fringe of sports than card movies or pool movies are. I would go as far as to say that cheerleading is certainly way more athletically taxing than either cards. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't do what they do. But I kind of expected Bring It On to be as emotionally and intellectually challenging as this movie, Ryan. I haven't seen it before, so are you telling me I won't be as challenged by watching Bring It On as I was watching Murderball? Having not seen it in a long time, I can't say for sure, but I doubt it. (laughs) I do remember the great line in one of the scary movie movies where Jamie Presley says, it has already been forgotten <laughs> when somebody says bring it on. So that's in two weeks. We're going to be deep in the summer, so it's good. We're wearing shorts and shaking pom-poms or watching people who are doing so. How is that beer? I've been smashed, Ryan. All right, good. We have a game, so don't drink too many. I'm the one driving. You are driving. Yeah. And I'm drinking water. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. Top100project.com, of course. Until we get a website. Not yet. That's it for Murderball. Take her easy, dudes. I know that you will. All right. Canada! <laughs> you can't end a movie like Murderball on such a relaxed vibe. You have to go. Pump, pump. I can. <laughs> I'm just joking.